You're listening to Orange County's only station with critical business information, Critical Mass, with your host, Rick Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This business talk show airs live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Thursdays at our special time of 3 p.m. All of our shows are heard exclusively here on Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, we encourage you to listen live during our broadcast times. And we are broadcasting from the -the state-of-the-art studios of OC Talk Radio here in Tech Space in Costa Mesa, California. This show is brought to you by our commercial sponsors, Succession Strategies, Smart Business Magazine, Smart Stop Self Storage, and Decision Toolbox. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience, to make better and more informed decisions. We do that by interviewing thought leaders and business executives who have knowledge and experiences that you can learn from. And that is certainly the case today. It is my pleasure to have Brad Leggett, who is the founder and CEO of his own firm, the Leggett Group Incorporated, in the studio. Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me on today. It's great to have you on the show. So tell us a little bit, Brad, Brad, about your professional background, kind of we say here on the program, your path to your firm. Well, my firm is all about helping companies become better at sales and building really high-performance sales teams. And I started selling when I was 16 years old. I sold door-to-door $1 item and learned how to make a lot of cold calls at that young age. About 100 door knocks a day. What were you, what were you selling? It was a, actually a deodorizer for a refrigerator. Wow. Yeah, junior achievement company. Okay. Sit there and uh, make these door knocks and sell them. Okay. A buddy of mine and I would go out and make a lot of calls and see who could make the most calls and most sales in a day. Okay. And I had a great time doing it. All right. So and you've been selling for a while then? Been selling for a while. And, you know, you and I worked together at Tektronix, so I had a, a long career in, in tech space, 15 right. years between two different companies, between what's now Unisys and Tektronix, uh-huh. in both domestic and international sales. So I've been in sales, a NASA account manager, head of sales compensation, director of sales training. I'll add a sales district from bottom of the heap to top of the heap, from number 22 to number 2 in a year. Wow. First year as a district manager, had everybody on the team make plan, which was great. That is great. That's yeah. not usual. No. Right? That's it was a lot of do. fun. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So pretty varied. And then actually two years uh, working the Asia-Pacific marketplace. Oh. And they threw in Canada and Latin America for, for good measure. So isn't it great to work for these large multinational corporations? You get this kind of global experience, which you can then, you're investing in yourself while you're helping the company, right? And now you can take this experience and help other companies based on what you learned from your varied technology sales background. Rick, that's a, that's a great lead-in because that's my passion is taking what I learned at those large companies uh-huh. and sort of morphing it or scaling it for entrepreneurial firms, firms in like maybe that 5 to $50 million space. We're looking at how to build a sales team, sales process, and those are the things that big companies are good at teaching you. Right. And you get a lot of experience. You get a lot of peers to bounce things off of, so there's a lot of learning for you there. Right. And being able to bring it to companies that don't necessarily have a team of managers to bounce things off of and to learn from. Well, and I to bring I, that to them and help them grow. I sorry. love doing it. I, I work with the CEOs of those of those size firms as well. And you say uh, you use the term sales teams, and I'm thinking, man, a lot of them. You you'd have to ve- use a very loose interpretation of of the term sales teams for what they have, because many times in my experience, they have very. Sometimes they don't have any salespeople, or they have one salesperson, or mm-hmm. the CEO is still doing a preponderance of the sales. Uh, is that your experience? I run into all of that. Okay. okay. 
Uh, was it a firm this morning in the construction space? Good-sized firm. They've never had a dedicated business development person in this firm. Now they're looking to put that person in place, and they're going, well, like, who belongs in this job? What should it look like? What should we pay them? What should we expect from them? And that's what I'm helping them sort out and get clear about so they can get the right person in the job, have the expectations, and have it be a profitable deal for the person in the job and for that company. It's surprising to me how many also of those CEOs, five to $50 million mm-hmm. companies, and you know I love you out there. That's my listening audience, so I'm very loyal to them. But um, I also am surprised in my peer group meetings and others how, how almost overtly negative their perception of a salesperson can be. It's it's surprising to me when I talk to them because they know I have a sales background too, uh, and and they sort of you know we get into these conversations. They come from always not always a positive place as it relates to what kind of sales person to hire, what do they do, what's their value. Well, you're talking about entrepreneurs that founded a company. Yes, and I work with a lot of folks like that. That's probably about seventy percent of my client base. And to a person, he or she is a good intrinsic salesperson. They had to be to get that company off the ground. Right. And so they're good at it, but they've never had to manage salespeople and professional or dedicated salespeople or a different, shall we say, breed of cat than the entrepreneur. Right. And some of the coaching I do with that entrepreneur is, one, they say, well, they're not as passionate about this company as I am. I said, okay, you're the parent. They're the uncle or the aunt. Okay? Expect them to be dedicated and passionate, but they're never going to have quite the same passion you do because it's your creation, your, right. your child. And secondly, a, a thing I commonly run into is they don't sell like me. And I say, well, but that's normal. You know, if Rick and Brad were out making sales calls, we would sell differently. Right. And it's everyone has their own style. The question is, is it effective? And are they doing it and doing it on a repetitive basis and bringing the orders or not? Mm-hmm. And the third one is to understand that the sales job is really very different than almost any other job out there. Because I like to say it's the only job I know of where a 90% failure rate is a success. Because, mm. you know, how many no's do you get till you get a yes? Right. And if you're an internal job in, you know, order processing or finance or something, yeah, you'll get some pushback. But you're not out there dealing with rejection and turndowns and lack of commitment from people on a daily basis. And that's part of the sales role is dealing with that. And it takes a different personality and style to deal with that and deal with it effectively. I think that's absolutely true. And... um they are the the part of your company that should be less in the office than more in the office. So not seeing them can be a good indicator, right, of activity. It's a very good indicator. I mean, if I'm seeing their bright and shining face every morning, I'm wondering why. Right. You know, a deadly thing to do for a salesperson is to come in the office in the morning. Because once you're in there, there's always something that will draw you in. And it's sort of safe comfortable, warm place, and nobody's telling you no, and nobody's standing you up, and those other things you deal with. Right. And where you want them is out in the field. What you're interested in is, you know, what they're doing. Are they in the act, you know, making making sales calls, basically. I look at three key components for a successful salesperson, and the first one is activity level. Are they making enough sales calls? The second one is they calling on the right people. You know, and that's particularly true for junior salespeople. You get somebody fairly new in sales, a lot of times they're reluctant to call high enough in the organization. Right. So you got to coach them and work with them to get sales calls at the right level. And the third thing, are they able to make an effective sales call? Two key components. Do they have good sales skills and how to open a call, ask questions, deal with objections, those things? 
But the back end of that is can they represent your company and its product or services in the market well and position them against the competition? And do they ask for the order? Yes. Right? Always should I'll, they ask for the order. Always be closing. <laughs> or whatever the current... I just take that because it's... Well, a, closes are many different forms yeah, during a sales cycle. And you, yeah. you know that. You know that. I, I, we have about a minute left, and then we're going to take our first commercial break. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm speaking with Brad Leggett. He is the founder and CEO of the Leggett Group Incorporated. We're going to be talking a little bit more about uh, getting the right people on the sales team. I, I find sales and finance are two of the areas that growing smaller companies tend to not have enough resources against. Mm -hmm. Those are areas where they either, you know, have underinvested or they have part-time people or they're doing it themselves yep. and they could really get a lot of growth. My coaching is to the CEO, those are two areas that you should invest more in because you're going to see more of a strategic return on professional salespeople and professional financial people who can help you plan the business and grow it. Very much so. Okay. We're going to take our break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. As I said, I'm speaking with Brad Leggett. And when we come back, I'm going to ask him, how do you ensure that I, as the CEO, have the right people on my sales team? So stay tuned for the answer to that question and others coming up here on Critical Mass Radio Show. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely, ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. There's something happening out there today. All across America, we're seeing encouraging signs of economic recovery. Businesses are once again thinking about new growth, and new opportunities are emerging. But it raises the question, is your company positioned to take full advantage of the economic recovery and the opportunities it presents? Maybe it's time to ask, how has the recession impacted your business model? Is your business as relevant as it once was? Should you consider entering new markets or expanding into new categories? And what do customers really value about their relationship with you? The golden thread through all these questions and the answer to each and every one of them can be found in just one place. Your brand. It's much deeper than your logo and much bigger than your advertising. Your brand is the enabler of your entire business strategy. Rikas Baird is a brand strategy firm that can help. They specialize in business branding. They've helped hundreds of companies from startups to Fortune 500 leverage their brands to drive growth. They can do the same for yours. It's really quite simple. Find out more, just visit brandingbusiness.com. That's www.brandingbusiness.com. 
and plant the seed for economic growth. back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our shows as podcasts. You've downloaded over 11,000 shows over the past 30 days. We here at the program truly appreciate your continued support. All of our shows can be heard live here on octalkradio.net or rebroadcast anytime on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and other business-oriented podcasting services. All right, our guest is Brad Leggett. He is the founder and CEO of the Leggett Group Incorporated. Before the break, Brad, I said I was going to ask you to give some coaching to CEOs that are listening to our program. How can they ensure that they have the right people on their specific sales team? Rick, the number one thing to ensure you get the right people in your sales team is defining clearly what that sales job is about. You know, my wife's an interior designer, so the analogy I like to use, if you walk in a paint store and you ask for yellow, they're going to get out a paint deck, and there'll be 20 shades of yellow in paint chips or the deck or whatever. Okay. And that's like salespeople. Well, when a salesperson will, what's the sales job about? What are the key deliverables they've got to do day in, day out to be successful? And if it's an inside job, sales, you know, on the telephone, that's going to be very different than the deliverables for so many key accounts selling large accounts outside making calls on, you know, CEO decision makers. Mm. So you want to get very clear about what's the job about. And I see the three to five key deliverables in it. And if you want to do an asset test, what those might be is say, what do you expect this person to do in the first 90 days they're on the job? And if you can define that down with clarity, you've probably got it pretty well. For example, working with a client of mine, again, a fairly small company, they're in the tech space, they sell software that manages the finances of school construction programs. Now, this software sold on a SaaS model. It sells for around about $100,000 an instance. But they had small company, no lead generation effort, or a nominal one at trade shows. So we said, what do we need in this salesperson? And sell to school districts, high dollar sale, got to generate you know, their own leads and things like that. So we said the five things this person has to do and do well, number one, they've got to be able to generate their own leads, whether it's through cold calling on the phone, working LinkedIn, email campaigns, whatever. Secondly, we were talking about someone who's out going to close a sale, as you said, always be closing. So someone who has a successful track record in sales. And if that's not one of the top two things in a sales job, I question it. Right. Okay, and I read many job descriptions in sales, and uh-huh. it's item 14 of 64 items. Right. They almost think it's going it's, it's, it's it's to give it. Yeah, yeah. We don't yeah. need to write that down. So. Third thing in this job, we were talking large school districts you're selling to. So somebody that had a background in selling to key accounts, which is different than a one-off sales call on a small account. So Mm -hmm. they had a track record of of dealing with multiple levels of decision makers and moving a decision through a complex decision-making process. Fourth, it's a technical product. The salesperson can't carry the sale entirely on their own. They're going to need a tech guy to come in and help demonstrate the product, answer other questions about it. So someone who had a background in team sales. Team selling. And finally, selling into the whole school K-12 through market, it's a very tight community, and you really need to be of the community and understand it to be effective there. You can't just know your product and go in and pitch it. You need to know what's going on in the schools, what's happening at the state level. So somebody who's willing to join the associations, get active on committees, and build that credentials and that credibility and be able to go in and talk to a, a chief business officer school district and know what's going on in Sacramento and then switch to talking about their product. Is it your experience, Brad, that the that the executive team of a, of a small and mid-market company 
can come up with those three to five key indicators on their own? Or is it, it seems like part of the value you bring would be asking the questions that lead them to realize what, because I think sometimes they're too close to it. They almost can't see the forest for the trees. Too close to it, and maybe they haven't had experience in large accounts selling themselves to any degree. Okay. Okay, in this case, the CEO had not. So they don't know what they don't know. Exactly. Okay. So someone like me or get a book or, you know, listen to different podcasts, but understand, you know, the different attributes of salespeople and somebody to come in and potentially help coach you through that and how you do this and really get targeted. And then once you've got that set of key deliverables defined, use them for your job ad and more critically for your interview questions because you're talking about having the right person on the team. It's asking the right interview questions and getting at, What's the, the, the truth underneath it? If they say, oh, okay, I sold a million dollars. Okay, well, how many sales was that? Okay, that tell me about your top sale of that million dollars. That was a deal. Okay, how'd you land that deal? How'd you get your foot in the door? Who else helped you with it? And take the story all the way down. So to really drill down. Drill down. And when they come through and that all fits together, you've got a good candidate for your sales job. Well, I think that's really powerful advice because... Uh, again, and I don't want to sound negative, but my recent experience over the past seven years is there's a certain amount of um, caution that CEOs and business owners approach hiring salespeople with because they're a little bit worried that if they're a really good salesperson, the whole interview may be a sale process to the candidate, and am I really getting at the person that's going to do the job? And I think your advice of drilling down can uncover how truthful their stories are. Drilling Exactly, Rick. Drilling down is part of it. The second part of it is do a multi-stage interview. Don't bring somebody in one time, think this is the, the golden boy, golden girl, and I'm ready to hire them. Right. I really advocate following the rules of three and hiring. First is have at least three interviews with a candidate. Salespeople advocate three venues. Once over the phone, because any salesperson inside or outside is going to spend time on the phone. Right. Secondly, face-to-face, okay. business-wise, in the office. And third, at some point, take them out to lunch, take them out to dinner. Uh, Can they hold a business conversation <laughs> and deal with a knife and a fork at the same time? Yeah, and dinner, maybe there's a drink there, too, right? Exactly. And do, can they say, oh, okay, I'll have a cocktail and be sociable versus somebody who has four or five and they're over the line? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's great advice. It takes a little more time to do that, doesn't it? And you run the risk of being halfway through dinner and you still you made your decision this isn't the right person, but you haven't even had the main course yet or something. Well, how painful is an extra 30 minutes with that candidate versus living with them for six months after exactly. you make the wrong decision? Exactly, because to your earlier point, the salespeople are not just in your company, they're in your community. And if you made a bad hire and they're out touching prospects or existing clients, that's really... You have to be careful about who you send into your clients. Oh, you're exactly right. I mean, I can remember one where we did a multi-stage interview. I did great on the phone. He was back east. Company was out here. Did great in a Skype interview with the CEO and two of the senior managers. Brought him out. Great guy. Worked for a competitor. Credentialed everything. Got him in there, and he got to a sort of peer-level interview at lunch and started making inappropriate remarks, things he never did with the, the executive team. He let his hair down, huh? Oh, yeah. And right then we said, okay, we're done with this one. <laughs> Thank you for your time. And Yes. Uh, here's a consolation. Yeah, you. in a way, was that painful? Yes, but much less painful than having hired the person. Right. Yeah. Right. And conversely, when you go through that and know the person's good, you can feel really solid about your hiring decision. And that that's important. So I've got about five minutes left with you. I had a number of other questions I want to get to, so I'm looking at them. And I, I really would like to ask kind of, in your professional experience, having been in sales for so long successfully and also coaching and working now with small and mid-market companies that develop sales teams, what are the best motivators 
for a sales team, given the audience that listens to this, which are CEOs of three to $50 million companies, Brad? I'll put the one that most people think is number one, and that's money. I mean, you generally hear, well, that's the, that's what motivates They're sales. They're coin-operated. They're coin-operated, right. okay? And both in my experience, and there have been a number of studies, money is not number one. Okay, it's about number somewhere between three and five, depending on the study. Some key motivators for salespeople is we're ego-driven. That's just part of who we are, part of the job. So recognition is a big motivator to salespeople. And if you're the CEO of the company, recognize them directly and thank them for what they did. When they've done something significant, I'm not talking about just an everyday, oh, thank you for showing up. But if you brought in a big order or saved a big client, thank them for that. And then thank them in front of other people, in front of production, operations, finance, and let them know they've made a real contribution to the company. Hmm. A second key thing is clearly positioning your product and helping them understand when to sell it and where to sell it. Because the last thing you want is a salesperson out there on their own learning where not to sell it by mistake. Right. That's a demotivator for them, and it costs you a lot of money. And I think you said with less experienced salespeople, it's really important to set the ground rules. And, and I... I use that. I say you need to teach your salespeople good behavior from bad behavior because they may think they're doing the right thing, but if it's not strategically the kind of accounts you want or the market that you're in, you have to teach them. That's no. I appreciate the effort, but let's refocus over here a little bit more. Exactly. That's the CEO's but it's also about you know that, that rolls right in with goal setting about establishing sales goals and activity goals for them, and then getting clarity about what's an A account, you know, a top level account from a C account. That's an I'll take orders from. It's nice to have, but it's not going to make payroll for me. Right. And direct in the right place. And again, when to slot a product or service in here that really fits, or it doesn't. If it doesn't fit, well, then shake hands and move on. Okay. So, any other tips on how to motivate your salespeople? You'd given us a couple, and recognition, I think, is really a powerful one. You and I know we worked at Tektronix for years, and there was a thing, 100% Club, right? And Masters. And Masters. You and, and I both went, and right. yes, we remember that, and we still got those plaques right. even this many years later. I'm still wearing the watch. Oh, my Lord. Yes, See? you are. There you go. <laughs> okay. So. Another one is helping them understand what their career path is. Particularly if somebody wants to move into management or may want to be in sales and then move into a different part of the company, help them understand if that career path exists and showing them that. We recently had a client that was hiring somebody away from a, not a direct competitor, but a company in, let's say, sort of the same industry. And how they finally won this person over was demonstrating there was a career path for this person here locally and they didn't have to move to get it. Do you, do you think, because I'm, I'm coming up against the clock, and I don't yep. mean to, I'm gonna, we will, uh, I'm looking at Crystal, our producer, we're going to have to have you back next year to finish these questions and talk more about this, because I think this is an un, underserved area in the small and mid-market companies. But do you, is it your experience that a, a $10 million, a $15, $20 million company that's looking for a senior sales executive could look at larger competitors who have mid-market, say, district managers or region managers, and, and bring them into the company to be their you know vice president of sales to give them that opportunity to run a, a more senior role but in a smaller company. Has, has your experience been that that's a good decision, kind of at a macro level for small and mid-market companies? That can be a very good decision because if somebody comes out of a larger company and they've been through the training and management development processes, they're going to have a lot of the skills. They've probably been in front of senior management. They may have dealt with large accounts and learn and know how to deal with that and right. know how to hold themselves in that audience and bring a lot to the table for your company. 
and to what you said earlier, you can tell you can paint a much clearer career path for them, right? Hey, you're going to be working for the president of this company. You're going to have a bigger impact. You're not just going to be a cog in the wheel of exactly. I mean, you talk about a big motivator because I, I know I've done that. And when we're talking to candidates, and look, you're going to have a direct impact. Things you talk about, you hope you'll get a decision nine months from now, and you drop it in the you know the suggestion box. Right. You're going to be the one sitting at the table with the CEO discussing about how to make this happen or not. Right. And get a decision right away and move move forward with it. And, you know, potentially equity in the company or even phantom equity are some great attractors for people to come into smaller companies. Right. We're going to have you back, and I'd like to okay. – we'll prep you up, and I'm going to talk more about that because I think with the economy turning and things improving, uh, find your, finding senior-level executive talent for smaller companies in larger companies may be a great strategy, so I'd like to pick at that a little bit with you. Brad, if someone wants to learn more about the Leggett Group and understand how you might be able to help them with their sales opportunities and challenges, how do they find you online? LeggettSales.com, www.leggettsalesplural.com, or 949-388-6910. The time has flown by, my friend. Thank you for being a friend of the program. Welcome to our community. And like I said, Crystal and I will be back in touch, ladies and gentlemen. We'll have Brad back sometime in 2014 to talk about selling and sales opportunities for the mid-market. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Jack Singer will be our second guest here on the radio program. So stay tuned after this commercial break. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.svnonline.com. There's something happening out there today. All across America, we're seeing encouraging signs of economic recovery. Businesses are once again thinking about new growth, and new opportunities are emerging. But it raises the question, is your company positioned to take full advantage of the economic recovery and the opportunities it presents? Maybe it's time to ask, how has the recession impacted your business model? Is your business as relevant as it once was? Should you consider entering new markets or expanding into new categories? And what do customers really value about their relationship with you? The golden thread through all these questions and the answer to each and every one of them can be found in just one place. Your brand. It's much deeper than your logo and much bigger than your advertising. Your brand is the enabler of your entire business strategy. Rikus Baird is a brand strategy firm that can help. They specialize in business branding. They've helped hundreds of companies from startups to Fortune 500 leverage their brands to drive growth. They can do the same for yours. It's really quite simple. Find out more, just visit brandingbusiness.com. That's www.brandingbusiness.com. And plant the seed for economic growth.
Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. Our audience demographic is 98% business owners and executives who listen to learn from the experiences of our guests. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on the radio show may be the answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of our program. We delivered over 20,000 highly targeted sponsor impressions last month. To learn more, contact our advertising department at 949-887-4104. All of our shows can be found on our website, criticalmassforbusiness.com. Okay, as promised, our second guest today is Dr. Jack Singer. Dr. Singer, welcome to the program. Rick, thanks. It's such a pleasure to be with you. It's an honor to have you on the program. I wonder if you might just spend a brief moment uh, giving a sense for your professional background to our audience of CEOs and business owners, Dr. Singer. Sure, Rick. Uh, presently, I'm a, uh, I'm a professional speaker, um, speaking all over the country and actually in several foreign countries. And I've used, what I'm using in my speaking, Rick, is my experience of 30 more years as a professional psychologist. Um, I started off as an industrial organizational psychologist working with industry and trying to find um, sources of stress within organizations and diagnosing the problems and then designing training programs to remediate them. And then in the last several years, I've moved into the area of sports psychology, working with elite athletes all over the world, Olympic, professional, and um, world champion athletes. And then at one point when the economy really went down the tubes in 2008, some people from the financial industry came to me and said, if you could take the things that you do with athletes and you could do something for financial advisors, this would be huge. And so that was actually a big turning point in my professional career because now my speaking really takes all of the same skills that I teach to world champion athletes and I customize it for the business group that I'm speaking to. And it's called Developing and Maintaining the Mindset of a Champion. How much crossover do you find between the work you do with elite athletes and the work you do with high-performing business professional CEOs and business owners, Dr. Singer? Well, there's a tremendous amount of crossover, Rick, because um, I'll give you a simple formula that applies to everybody in any circumstance. Your performance at any time, whether it's producing a radio show or running a business or performing in an athletic event, always equals your talent plus your motivation minus distractions. And the key is the distractions. So what I do is I show people how they get distracted from staying focused on their performance. And once they understand that, they can learn to change some habits that they didn't even know they had. And it leads to tremendous success. When you coach a professional athlete or a CEO and business owner, are they coming to you because they're at a block and they're, you know, they're dissatisfied or because they're moving at a rapid pace and it's also new for them. They need coping skills to be able to continue to kind of move their, keep their momentum in a positive direction, Dr. Singer. That's a great question. And the answer is both of the above. Um, most people come to me because they've run into uh, an issue where they're afraid they won't succeed or they may think they're afraid of success, but there's some kind of a block in their performance. Uh, other people come to me in more of a proactive way, which is, I'm doing fine now, but we're about to go into a growth spurt. Or if it's an athlete, a good example I'll give you is an NFL quarterback 
who was doing fine as the backup, but as soon as he learned that the uh, the starting quarterback was injured and he was going to be starting the next week, he started panicking. So he wanted to come to me to help him develop what the mindset that he needed in order to move forward without letting fear get in the way. So people, you know, come with all kinds of reasons, but the two that you picked on were actually the most common ones that I see. You know, Dr. Singer, um, a lot of what I understand that you help people with, and these are my own words, providing context and coping skills almost for their own self-talk, their own inner voice, their own inner self. And could you maybe explain a little bit to our audience, because I've seen it in your work and I've heard it on your audio uh, CDs, uh, about how that relationship between yourself and your inner self-voice uh, how to make that a healthy relationship? Yes, it's it's the most critical thing there is, actually, in this whole field of um, of positive psychology, if you will, the the ability to be happy and to be successful in whatever you strive to do is all based on that little voice inside your head, uh, which I wrote a book once called um, "Conquering Your Internal Critic." Uh, so you can sing your own song because it's really that internal critic. Most of our thinking is negative. Much more than 90% of what we say to ourselves are negative messages like, I hope I do this okay, or I should have done that better, or what if this happens to me? Those are negative thoughts. And we know now through a vast amount of research, Rick, that as soon as a person puts a negative thought in his or her head, it translates almost instantly to every cell in the body. So for example, if you were about to go out on the stage and you said to yourself, I hope I don't mess this up. As soon as you say that, everything tightens up in your body and you are guaranteed to mess it up. So it translates immediately to every muscle and every cell in your body. And for athletes, that's critical because for them to be performing at peak efficiency, every cell in their body has to be working correctly and efficiently. And you can't start giving yourself permission to get tight because you're worried. So it all starts with the self-talk, the self-dialogue that goes on. And in my training, I teach people how to recognize recognize, um, you know, those real traps and those real minefields in where their self-talk is gone and some methods of correcting them as soon as they recognize it. You know, as, as I'm studying your work and listening to your words here today on a radio show, it makes me think, if your inner voice was a separate person, would you have that person in your life? Because it seems to me a lot of times people are the things that they their self talk their self track is really they wouldn't stand for it from other people in their life, but yet they seem to be programmed to do that to themselves. Well, that's a fascinating observation. Um, it, it's true. Uh, it's like you know you, you wouldn't choose that kind of a voice inside your head as your friend, and yet you stick with it. But people need to understand, Rick, that they have choices. Um, you're not hardwired with that self-talk. It's not genetic. You have developed it over the years, and a lot of it has come from the way you were raised and perhaps not being given encouraging uh, comments and uh, and way-to-go kinds of comments from parents and other people who thought they were protecting you. For example, 
um, uh, uh, say a, a young lady wants to try out for homecoming queen in high school, and the mother who's trying to protect her says, you know, dear, um, that's a that's a nice thought, but you know, I've seen some of the other girls at your school, and I think you'll be embarrassed because you won't make it. Okay, so those are the kinds of things that get planted, the seeds that get planted. They're actually weeds, not seeds. Weeds get planted in your subconscious mind, uh, and continue to act from then on, where you're afraid to take risks, you lose your self confidence, you don't feel as good about yourself. So it's true. We need to learn that we can eradicate those weeds, and we can plant new flowers in the subconscious conscious mind you know one of the things that i that i didn't realize that um that i learned from your work is that we're born with only a few natural fears and that the rest of them are learned fears can can you share a little bit about that with our audience yes there are only two fears that we know are innate and they're born and an infant has them right off the bat and that's the fear of falling so um, if you held an infant over, if she was here, she was in a high spot, and they thought they were going to fall, that would be frightening. And the other one is loud noises. If you clap your hand loudly next to an infant, they'll start screaming. But all other fears are learned. And the good news there is that anything that's learned can be unlearned. So, for example, you're not born with a fear of going to a dentist. But but if you go to a dentist and A, one of your parents says, boy, that dentist really hurt me the last time I was there, or B, the dentist does hurt you, you've then learned to be afraid to go to that dentist. And again, any fear that's learned can be unlearned. And for your business audience, Rick, the most important fear that I help people with is the imposter fear. And this is a fear that most professional people have at some time in their life. If they face themselves and get to the heart of their hearts, they realize that what they're really saying to themselves is other people have higher expectations of me than I do of myself, and it's only a matter of time before the imposter in me will be found out and I'll be humiliated. And that seems to be almost coincident with people who achieve success because it, it seems like that concern would follow you as you rise up the corporate ladder and all of a sudden now you're you know dad picks you as the ceo or mom anoints you as the president of the company i mean I, I could see how that would be ingrained in someone who you know who has achieved something whether it's professionally as an athlete or in, in the business sense yes exactly and the athlete i was telling you about before was complaining to me about how he couldn't start as a quarterback for his nfl team and as soon as the opportunity came he panicked saying i'm not really sure that i'm as good as they think I am. So that fear lingers in the background, and I expose it to all of my audiences and show them how to get a hold of it and what they can do to eradicate it. And it really starts with your self-talk again. This is such a powerful concept, and I'm so glad that you you have researched it, you speak on it, you write about it, you produce audio content for people to learn from you. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about how people can find all that rich information here a little later in the show. We're gonna take our last commercial break, Doctor Singer. When we come back, I I want to come back to something you said earlier in this interview. You said allowing you to sing your song, and and I would like for you to share with our audience what you mean by that phrase, sing your song. Okay. Yes. All right, ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. We'll be back in two minutes with Dr. Jack Singer. But first, these commercial words. If you are an Orange County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. 
Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sounding board to test ideas and concepts, review plan and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, and I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 11,000 episodes over the last 30 days. We here at the program really appreciate your continued support. As I said, all shows can be heard live here on Internet Radio Station, octalkradio.net, or rebroadcast anytime from Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcasted and business-oriented podcasting services. Sorry about that. All right, Dr. Singer, welcome back to the show. I said before the break I was going to ask you to explain your term or your phrase, sing your own song. Well, you know, it was uh, catchy because my name is Singer, so um, that, made, that made it catchy. But the real reason for that is that everyone has dreams and goals, as you know, Rick, but most people will get deterred from the focus on those as soon as they run into an obstacle. So with the kinds of things that I teach people to do, and let's look at athletes as the metaphor here, is that how do you rebound from a setback? You know, the champion athlete knows how to rebound from a setback. The good athlete will just succumb to the setback, but they're good, but they'll never be a champion. So we really need to know how to bounce back. We need to know how to stay focused regardless of the obstacles and to look at all challenges as opportunities. And that's what I teach people to do. So an example would be if I ask someone to write down his or her goal for the next year, uh, whether it be work-related or home-related or what have you, my next question is the one that people almost never ask themselves, and that is, how can I sabotage myself to make sure this won't happen? Because if you think about that, then you'll see why you haven't accomplished your goals up till now. That's interesting. And um I got to ask you, it sounds like you are singing your own song. Is that what happened to you from the beginning? Or did you have to also go through a process of discovery to be where you are today, sir? Well, I, I really did. Because what happened was, uh, originally, you know, I had been accepted to a Ph.D. program in psychology. But I was finishing my Air Force tour of duty during the Vietnam War. And I was teaching at the Air Force Academy. And just by coincidence, um, Lucille Ball in her show, Here's Lucy, came to the Air Force Academy to film a segment. And I got a small part in that show because I always wanted to finish my Air Force career and then become a, a comedic actor. 
And so I was talking to her about doing that, and actually she said to me, don't be crazy. If you've been accepted into a doctoral program, you know, actors are a dime a dozen. Do something substantial. And she really convinced me not to pursue that dream. So I really bore in to get a Ph.D. and a post-Ph.D., post-doctorate. And then years later discovered there's something called professional speaking so that I could actually take my desire to get in front of an audience and use the credibility of the expertise that I developed. So I really have to thank Lucille Ball for changing the direction of my, my goals at that point. Was that a difficult change to go to become a professional speaker? How, how did you go and, and now become a you know, world-renowned speaker? Well, what happened, it was an accident. I didn't know there was such a field. And when I was practicing psychology in the, in the Fort Lauderdale, Florida area, uh, once a month I would go down to the Chamber of Commerce where they welcome new businesses and they would have a psychologist, a dentist, a doctor and all that. And we'd come down and talk about you know, what we do. We'd have a 10-minute pitch so that the new businesses would know who we are. Well, I always made my pitch very funny because that's part of what I do is I make all of my speeches funny so that people will rivet their attention and have a good time. And someone came up to me at the end of that little pitch to the Chamber of Commerce uh, group and said, Jack, uh, you're very funny. I said, thank you very much. And he said, but, you know, you can get paid for this. And I said, well, I've already decided I'm not going to be a comedian. He said, no, that's not what I mean. He said, the way you speak, you could join the National Speakers Association and become a professional speaker. And I had no clue what that was. So he opened a huge door for me, and it's been a love fest ever since. See, and that's why I believe in the power of peer learning, because I believe we can learn and help each other so much if we just get engaged in each other and and actively listen and learn from one another. So many of the answers to the things that we're trying to figure out are in other people's heads. If we just allow them the opportunity to share them with us, we can we can solve so many of our challenges so much easier by help, by the help and good graces of other people. Well, you're exactly right, and you used a phrase there, active listening. That's a subject for another show. I teach all of my audiences the power of active listening, which has several steps to it, and I've written articles on this. So that's that's for a future show, but you're right. Active listening is different than just listening. Right. You know, earlier you talked about how much of our self-talk, our talk track, uh, skews to the negative, the, the preponderance of, of it being negative. Could, could you expand on that a little bit as to what, what does the research say about why is it so overwhelmingly to the negative? Well, a professor named Shad Helmstetter did a study many years ago and then wrote several books about this, but his study was looking at children between the ages of 6 and 18, and he wanted to find out how often these children are given encouraging, positive kind of go-for-it messages by parents and teachers and other authority figures in their lives versus how many times are these children discouraged from doing things by well-meaning parents, like the example I gave you before, and teachers and other people who are negative and put them down. And sadly, Professor Helmstetter discovered that in this country, between 6 and 18 years old, the average child is told negative comments 144,000 times to four or 5,000 positive comments. So with that ratio, the little scripts that we put in our heads continue. We continue to pick up where the parents and the other people left off with not having the courage to take risks, uh, afraid to, you know, to step into the water, if you will. And, and that's where this negative self-talk really starts. You taught me that a negative thought requires the body about 24 hours to recover from that that thought. 
I think I have that correct. Can, can you go into a little bit more on that? Please? Yeah, it takes the the average human being um, 24 hours to recover from five minutes of negative thinking. Now, what does that mean? I'm going to give it to you in a nutshell that I'm sure your audience will be able to understand. This is this may be eye-opening if you haven't heard about this before. But what this really is is when you have a negative thought or you're worried about something, your brain doesn't know if your life is being threatened or not, so it doesn't take any chances, and it goes to the default position, which is switch on the fight-or-flight nervous system. Now, the fight-or-flight nervous system has been built into us genetically since we lived in caves to protect us from predators. But in this day and age, when we just worry about something like being stuck in traffic and you're not going to be on time and things like that, you switch on the exact same system as if somebody is threatening your life. The problem is that every time that system is switched on, in order to be efficient, it shuts everything else off in the body and all the energy is focused on your arms and your legs to escape or fight off the predator. So one of the systems that gets shut off is the immune system because the body needs to have all of the power for this emergency escape. So you take an average human being now who may have negative thoughts going through their mind hundreds of times during the day. Each time they do that, they're turning on the fight-or-flight nervous system and shutting off their immune system. So they're more prone to illnesses of all sorts and more prone to having difficulty overcoming illnesses. So that's where the research comes from when it says it takes a full 24 hours to recover from five minutes of negative thinking. You know, this... Um this is so fascinating, and we are going to have you back on for another show. Uh, I'll talk with Crystal, our producer, and we'll work that out with you, Dr. Singer. It, huh. it, 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 it proves to me, or under, underscores, how much we are animals, right? And we are, we are a product of our evolution, if you will. And that as our mind is growing and developing more cognitive skills, there's still that base skills that it's impacting and how, you know, when we were primitive man, the higher order thinking that we now have wasn't as prevalent, and so we didn't do this to ourselves, but now we almost have this our own mechanism to damage ourselves. We don't even realize the impact of our thoughts on our physiology. That's exactly correct. You have a way of taking information that you haven't heard before, because I'm saying it for the first time to you. We didn't rehearse this. And you put it in a context that makes complete and total sense to anyone who's listening to this, and that's a fascinating talent, Rick. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate, I appreciate that comment. Um, we, we're about out of time. Unfortunately, Dr. Singer, this interview has just flown by. I, uh, I've been thoroughly excited to have you on the show, and, and you have exceeded my expectations, sir, and I, <laughs> and I hope that all that we're listening today, go out and tell somebody to listen to the podcast. This is a powerful content that we're going to make sure we get out in a podcast as soon as possible. If people would like to learn more about your clinical practice, your sports psychologist practice, and your business consulting work. How do they find you online, Dr. Singer? Uh, online, you can, if you're looking for the sports psychology or clinical practice, it's um, drjacksinger.com with a doctor abbreviated. If you're interested in the speaking services, it's developthemindsetofachampion.com. And for your listeners, if they want to just chat with me about a concern they have, I'll give any listener uh, of your show a free 15-minute consultation on the phone, Rick. They just have to call me at 949 481 Five six six zero, and mention your show. Well, thank you. That was very generous. I also know that you have focused on helping teachers as well to to achieve outstanding results in their profession. 
I wrote a book called uh, The Teacher's Ultimate Stress Mastery Guide, and I'm just finishing now, in fact, it'll be out in January, The Financial Advisor's Ultimate Stress Mastery Guide, uh, because everyone in the financial profession since 2008 has really undergone stress, and my job is to show you how to overcome it and move forward. So The Financial Advisor's Ultimate Stress Mastery Guide will be available soon. Well, I want to thank you for being such a prolific um a person and putting out your thoughts in such a coherent fashion and easy to understand and and very accessible in different mediums. So I thank you for being a friend of the program. Welcome to the Critical Mass Business Community, and I look forward to having you on a future program. Rick, it's my pleasure, and what a wonderful interview you are. This was really pleasurable. Thank you, sir. Pleasure was all mine. Have a good day. You too. Thanks. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed our show today and the interviews have provided you with some new ideas and information that you can use to make better and more informed decisions. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Succession Strategy, Smart Business Magazine, Smart Stop Self Storage, and Decision Toolbox. I'd also like to thank our engineer, Paul Roberts, our producer, Crystal Nunley, our guest coordinator, Kathleen Shepard, and I'm your host, Rick Franzi. Until the next time we have a chance to talk, here's hoping that all of your decisions will move your business in a positive direction. You've been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show right here in Orange County's only community radio station, OCTalkRadio.net.